Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Photometer Money Podcast, where we're helping ODs all over the country make better and better decisions around their money, their careers, and their practices. I am your host, Yvonne Mindrin, certified financial planner and owner of Optometry Wealth Advisors, an independent financial planning firm just for optometrists nationwide. And on today's episode, I am excited to welcome to the podcast, Dr. Kara Foster, who is the owner of an optometrist at I Care For You in North Carolina. And Dr. Foster talks with me all about her journey in transitioning away from and getting away from vision plans in her practice uh, to a direct care or fee-for-service business model. And we take sort of a case study approach to seeing what her practice was like before the transition, why she made that transition, how she did it, and and what did her practice look like on the other side. So I know this has been a, a big and important topic in terms of what should private independent optometry practices do with vision plans? How should they best manage it? And it's been fun for me as someone who's looking from the outside in and, and seeing how do different practices handle that challenge because there's definitely different approaches. Uh, I thought Dr. Foster's approach was fantastic and hopefully it helps you as well in, in making those decisions. And something that slipped my mind uh, over the last couple episodes is that we're already at episode 54, which means it's already been a full year of running this podcast. And I just want to say with that, um, thank you so much for everyone who has been listening along the way. Um, I know those early episodes were probably pretty, pretty raw, but uh, appreciate your time and attention and, and the feedback I've gotten from you privately by email. Appreciate all that. Um, I'm looking forward to continuing to make this a better and better resource for you and your profession. And uh, if you've enjoyed the podcast along the way, please leave a review. It's helpful for me to see your feedback and it helps get this content in front of uh, more optometrists so they can make smarter, better informed decisions with their career, their finances, and their practice. So uh, with that, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me at Yvonne, E-V-O-N at optometrywealth.com. Uh, if you have any questions or topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes, reach out. Always, always happy to uh, to see that. And you can check out all the links and resources we mentioned in the episode in the show notes, which you can find at the Education Hub at my website, www.optometrywealth.com. And while you're there, feel free to schedule a no-commitment introductory call. We can talk about whatever's on your mind financially, and you can learn about how we serve optometrists nationwide. Uh, if you're not ready to chat, for my optometry listeners, I am offering free financial health assessments where I'll take a look at different health metrics about your finances uh, and I'll send you a short assessment video. I'll give you sort of a guide to what your financial scores are telling you, some of my thoughts about it, and maybe even some uh, next actions to consider. So a link to that will be in the show notes. And that being said, without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Kara Foster. Welcome back, everybody, to the Optometry Money Podcast. I am your host, Yvonne Mindrin, and I am thrilled to welcome to the show today uh, Dr. Kara Foster, owner of I Care For You in North Carolina. Kara, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Yvonne. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and to kind of share my experience with you guys today. Thank you. Yeah, I came across your name first by, a, I think, a pretty recent review of Optometric Business article you did. Uh, the title of this one is How I Freed My Practice from Managed Care to Achieve a 564 Revenue Per Exam, Dollar Revenue Per Exam. And that's uh, quite the quite the title there. Definitely got my attention, but I, I, I'm excited to chat with you about 
your experience of as you wrote about freeing yourself from from vision plans and managed care to create more independence in your own practice because I, I think this is such a, a an important big topic right now of of what to do with with vision plans what to do with managed care Mm-hmm. How do you create, uh, or how do practices create more independence inside of independent optometry in terms of making decisions with their practice over profitability? Uh, should you use? Should you not use vision plans? Should you? Are they a marketing expense? Are they a partner? What are they? And, and maybe this has been a big topic for a long time, and and it's been fascinating for me as someone looking from the outside in, just seeing these conversations unfold and seeing how different owners and practitioners feel about their own profession and the future of their profession. So, but I'd like to hear in just your own words, in your experience, what is or has been the relationship between independent uh, eye care and managed care? And how has managed care impacted private practice? Um, You know, I think that in optometry and probably um, healthcare in general, we really feel like we have to use managed care that's kind of promoted to us as a way to bring patients to our practice. Um, but I really found after being in, you know, starting my own practice as managed care and practicing previously um, in a managed care office, where, you know, kind of asking our patients where they're coming from and, you know, how they're finding us, it didn't really feel like a lot of patients were finding us through a managed care system. Um, and, you know, with all the, uh, the drawbacks of being in network, I felt like um, there were better ways that we could go about um, getting our patients if that was the biggest reason that we got patients was because of the marketing that they did for us in managed care. Interesting. So you, maybe the perception is that this is a way to increase the volume in the practice, but you had found that your patients weren't really starting with their vision plans, or at least that's not where a lot of the the traffic came from. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? Um, not in my office or the previous office I had worked in, you know, a lot of patients you know, if really, I feel like in private practice, uh, it seems like when you take good care of your patients, a lot of it is that word of mouth referral. Um, and that's a way that direct care actually helps too, because with the word of mouth referral, patients can tell their friends about it. It's, we do have to be able to explain it well, but also the patients kind of already know coming in that they're getting a different kind of experience. And I think when any patient comes to a private practice, they're looking for that different experience. Um, so to be, this is a good way I feel like for us to be able to provide that for them. Got it. And you mentioned direct care, which is a, essentially a fee for service business model. Mm -hmm. What, what does that mean? How does that actually work in practice? Um, in practice, really, we just um, are very open and upfront about our prices. We have everything on our website. When patients call, we explain everything to them about what their final price is going to be. Um, and, um, we, um, are able to, we do bill out of network for their insurance companies, but we just try to be kind of open and, and upfront with what our pricing is so that they know what to expect right from the very beginning. So just pretty, pretty straightforward, transparent. Mm-hmm. You're, the patient is paying you directly for your services. I mean, it sounds like it makes a whole lot of sense. I, I as a consumer, you know, like that. And uh, even for my own business, I, I basically mirror that same thing. That makes a whole lot of sense. And it seems like it makes a would you say it just makes a better relationship between the patient and the provider and that there's no third parties to worry about? You know, what, what have you seen there? 
Yeah, absolutely. I feel like patients do sometimes feel a little bit suspicious about like not really understanding their insurance. Not a whole lot of people really understand the ins and out of their insurance companies. And, you know, we're kind of meant to explain that to them. And, but I feel like if we can explain it to them in this more of like a direct care and how we can spend more time with them and we don't have to really nickel and dime them for services or for, you know, add-ons to their glasses that we really think would be a benefit to them, then it helps us to be able to provide better care. Care. And when they give us that opportunity and we can kind of earn their trust to provide a direct care experience, I think that it really helps, um, just helps to create a better overall healthcare experience and hopefully help improve the healthcare system overall to be able to take out that middleman of insurance and, and spend more time and do the testing that we need and, and develop those deeper relationships with our patients. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, I want to dive into how that transition happened from from mm-hmm. getting away from the vision plans to to getting into this more direct care business model and, and mm-hmm. why you went that direction and, and some of the things you looked at and I'll, the first thing I want to ask is just kind of get a feel and, and so the listener can get a feel of of your practice before that transition like what what that practice looked like um, and, and I want to even start with background a little bit before mm-hmm. that you know what. Um, what got you into optometry initially and what eventually led to you owning your own practice? Um, well, yeah, optometry in general, I mean, I've always needed glasses. I've always loved kind of healthcare and kind of figuring things out and how to help people, you know, just really just be able to improve people's lives. And, you know, I think eye care is so great because people come in, like they're happy to see you, you can help them. You know, it's also great to be able to do mission work. I love doing like mission trips in Haiti. I'm going to Guatemala later this year. Um, So there's a really a lot of like uh, value in that that I see too. And and really, I just feel like um, optometry is a great opportunity to have a private practice where a lot of you know, other kind of medical professions, you end up working in a hospital setting where I really enjoy the relationships and the relationship building that I get with my patients. And um, so, so I went to optometry school in Boston. I graduated in 2009. Um, And, um, you know, I'm a wife and a mom of three girls. and, And I really love having time to like build with my family and relationships and, um, which is probably how I kind of got started in this direct care idea. But, um, you know, for the first six years after I graduated, I worked in a, in a really nice private practice, um, but it was very insurance based. Um, I thought I learned a lot about um, running a private practice and, you know, kind of a little bit about how insurance works. Um, but I felt like we were being rushed um, seeing a lot of patients. And then, you know, I feel like a lot of people feel that way. Um, but we were seeing, you know, four to five patients an hour, you know, working five to six days a week, which is kind of how I decided to open my own practice. I, you know, my daughter was born in um, 2013. And um, I just really decided at that time that I wanted to focus more on family time and creating a better work-life balance. Um, Because obviously practice owners have so much more time, right? You know, I don't know that as an employee really, but but after I, you know, so that's where really kind of I got started wanting to build a different kind of practice, not a practice where I spent, you know, only 10, 15 minutes with the patient. I really wanted to develop those relationships. So I wanted like a true kind of family practice where my daughter could come, you know, after school sometimes. Um, So I opened my office. It's called I Care For You um, in early 2015. um, And I had longer exam times. um, But, you know, not knowing sort of the back end of the insurances, we did accept all the vision and medical insurances for the first two years of my practice. Um, So I feel like we kind of looked like a regular private practice, you know, trying to navigate like loopholes, being paid by insurance companies, you know, kind of seeing the sad reimbursement checks come in and, 
um, you know, just seeing patients day in and day out, um, but starting to realize that I might not really be able to continue that in a sustainable way, you know, doing things the way I wanted with um, the longer exam times. And, you know, I really wanted to be able to include extra testing too with, you know, I, the insurance companies kind of limit that as well. So, yeah. And uh, I feel like that's a, uh, you're, you're right in that. Okay. You, there's a lot more that comes with private practice ownership than maybe you, you know, before going into it. Uh, but at least you have that opportunity to sort of craft the business that you want around the lifestyle yeah. that you want. So you, you do get sort of that freedom and opportunity there, um, along with all the other stuff that, that comes with that responsibility. But so you mentioned that you, you started out as sort of a, I guess the typical or average private practice, you're on all the insurance plans. Why did you feel like that was the route to go? Uh, did you feel like that was just typical? Like you, you sort of had no choice. I mean, what, what sort of led you initially that, that. Uh, down that direction. Yeah. Well, you know, I guess I just have never seen it done any other way. I thought that that was the way that you do all the private practices that I've seen and, you know, worked at and, and been a part of um, throughout my, you know, school and, you know, professional career. You know, I really hadn't seen anybody just do it just direct care only like I'm not taking insurance. There's so many vision plans and, you know, the vision plans kind of come present to you even in optometry school. So that's really all, you know, I feel mm -hmm. like so. Mm -hmm. Um, Describe like the your geography, like your your patient base. What what does that look like for for your practice? Uh, you know, I do. I'm outside of Raleigh, North Carolina, um, which is a growing area. You know, we've got a lot of growth coming in this area, but um, you know, I feel like it's not just. We, we do have a lot of tech and pharmaceuticals here, and you know, people who work from home and and really can. I feel like patients who if we can explain the value of direct care, they can afford to pay for it and then have the reimbursement come in. But I also feel like there's a little bit of confusion thinking that direct care is a more expensive way for patients where I actually think it disperses healthcare costs across the board. Um, and it's it's really more affordable overall, um, especially when you're not paying for a vision plan. Um, so we do have sort of, a, I have a very good, um, you know, younger, healthier patient base, people who, you know, are, are able to listen and understand if we can explain direct care properly to them. Got it. Got it. Okay. Okay. And in terms of for the listener who maybe isn't as familiar or, or hasn't gotten into either private practice or, or definitely private practice ownership, how exactly does the collection of revenue work when you're working primarily with, with vision plans? Um, well, it's a little bit of a process. I mean, and actually, you know, it's been a little while since I've done it, so I don't know if anything's changed, but um, you know, you, when you're in network with the insurance, you're submitting and waiting, you know, up to 90 days for a reimbursement check, you know, you could submit for a $130 contact lens fit and, you know, get $3 back. So, you know, if you want to really spend time and explain with patients, you can't really spend that time and, and be able to get those low reimbursement checks. It just doesn't line up. So. Got it. So there's potentially a delay between when you provide the service and when you actually get the reimbursement. Mm -hmm. uh, the reimbursement is maybe smaller than you're anticipating. I'm sure there's staff time involved, right? With, with submitting the claim, following up on it, making sure that there's revenue collected. So I'm sure there's, there's people involved in the practice having to, to follow up on all this. And, and so what mm -hmm. were you seeing in your practice then at that point that made you say, okay, I need to start making a change around here. What were you seeing? Mm -hmm. What were you feeling? What were you noticing? 
Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the insurance checks were coming in, you know, not what we expected, really. Um, and so I, I was really thinking that I needed to start, you know, maybe shortening my exam times and um, maybe even having an insurance biller come in, somebody who really understood the system a little bit better, make sure I wasn't missing out on any lost revenue potentially that I could have been billing for that I wasn't. Um, so I was looking at maybe hiring an insurance biller, but to be able to do that, you know, I'd have to like shorten my exam times and then to shorten my exam times, I'd have to hire a technician and and part of what I wanted with my practice was to keep it really small and family oriented. Mm. You know, I, at the time and, and still now I have a, um, a front desk person um, and an, an optician. And, uh, you know, I really wanted to keep it that small kind of people recognize our faces each year when they come in. They We have a, that kind of comfortable family feel. So I didn't want to do that. And so that's kind of where I started thinking to myself, like, what else is there? There's got to be something else. What else can we do? So, yeah. so you're, you're noticing... Yeah, I guess it's like you're you're trying to find out like what are the tips and tricks around making the most out of these vision plans? Like how can I squeeze more out? Yeah, like and, I feel like that's what people feel like they have to do, right? Yeah. But is there a better way? You know, I think there or, is. No. Or volume. Right? You're yeah. even the other the alternative is to make that up with volume. And right. that that definitely wasn't the practice you wanted. Um, and it just sounds exhausting <laughs> to be honest. Yes, exactly. Is that how you want to spend your day at work? I mean, we spend so much of our time at work um every day. Um, with people, we want our people to be happy, our team too, because who really, nobody really wants to be like trying to fight the system, right? We want to, I feel like direct care helps encourage people. It feels like we're doing something that to better the healthcare system, to be not nickel and diming our patients, to be open and straightforward. It just feels like a nicer overall way every day. And that's how we spend our days. So much of our day, why not make it a better overall day? Right, right, right. And, and so you went down the road then you you thought about it i'm sure I, i'm just curious to know like how you thought about going down the decision to say okay we're going to direct care we're going to remove the vision plans we're, we're just going to be totally independent in our pricing in our relationship with our patient I, i've heard a lot of ways to go about that you know you can you could have trimmed just the a certain amount of vision plans or you could have mm -hmm. you could have done something different why go that direction what what did you look at how did you analyze that situation to say, okay, this is the direction we're going? Um, well, you know, I, I had not heard of direct care um, and eye care at all, but I kind of started researching other practices, uh, other professions, I guess, that do it. And it's not big, but it's done in primary care. A lot of dentists kind of do it as a fee-for-service system. So I do feel like it's out there and, and patients have heard of it in other kind of capacities. Um, and I, you know, there's a lot of talk about um and I care about like dropping plans one by one, but I tried to think about how that would sound when I was explaining it to my patients, if they would really understand. And I, I feel like it is more of like, oh, well, my, you know, my office is offering this insurance plan and they don't like it because it doesn't pay enough. Um, whereas if I kind of said it in a way that I dropped all vision plans, I dropped everything really then everybody's paying the same across the board. It's mm. not because one plan plays less than another. It's because I wanted to change the system and just create like a better environment, which I didn't feel like, I felt like it presented differently to the patient. Um, so, I mean, I know it's, it was a new system and I honestly didn't know if it would work at first, but I figured <laughs> it was worth trying. So, <laughs> uh, Interesting. Yeah. You, you wanted to, I guess, avoid that thought of favoritism or, or something like that based on mm -hmm. re revenue or, or whatever that was. Yeah. Uh, going, going back to Kara back then, I guess this was 2017, you'd said? Yep. That was early 2017. Yeah. Okay. So go, going back to you back then, uh, 
I'm sure you had, you mentioned you weren't sure it would work. You know, what, what were some of the fears or uncertainty that may have caused you hesitation or maybe um, may have almost held you back from doing it altogether? Um, well, you know, I think explaining it to patients is the biggest thing. And I, even still now, I mean, that's the biggest thing that's very important. Number one on the phone when patients call is to make sure that they understand what direct care is and why we do it, not just that we don't take their plans. Because still a lot of the number one questions we get when people, when we answer the phone is, uh, do you take this plan? You know, and if you just say no right off the bat, then that's sometimes that's all they hear. So, you know, and I thought that if nobody came in, I mean, there was a potential that I could be looking for another job pretty soon. Um, yeah. But uh, I figured if I, uh, if there's, there are opportunities. So I figured I could always find another job if I needed to. And at least I knew that I would have tried and that I was trying to really work for myself because under the private practice system, under the insurance companies, it just feels like we're not really working for ourselves. We're still having to work around what we're doing with these insurance companies. And it doesn't feel like we could do things the way we want. And I figured if I'm going to work for somebody else, I might as well at least try it my way. So I, I, I love that because I, I feel like a I mean, you, you looked at this situation, you were unhappy with it, you wanted to take your business a different direction, and then you made a decision, you acted on it, and you took a risk. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. you, you took a measured risk in your business, and, and mm -hmm. that's often what it takes in, in driving a successful business forward. And I feel like a lot of the thought around private practice optometry, well, maybe not a lot, maybe from some, is that I, I feel like there's sort of a sense of defeat sometimes mm -hmm. to where we have vision plans and and it's just the way it is and yeah, you know the exactly. future's bleak because this is just the way it is and mm -hmm. i of course don't know and nearly enough about the ins and outs of optometry to really give an opinion but it just seems like there's a sense of defeat but you took initiative like you 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 made decisions it, it was you saw it was your own business and you made decisions to improve it so I, I, you really had a lot of intentionality there and where my brain goes to when I, when I think about this and I, I hear what you're saying is, is, uh, I'm imagining a spreadsheet with, uh, revenue per exam, uh, how yeah. many potential patients could, could you have lost? Right. What would that look like? Right. So how, how did you look at that? Cause I, I know you probably would have looked at the the revenue you are receiving what you might expect in terms of patients that fall away like how did you think about the math behind the decision um well you know obviously switching to a new system we weren't exactly sure like what our revenue would be once patients started coming in how well they'd want to actually buy glasses from us when they weren't able to be in network with their insurances um, but it actually, another side note here is it's been kind of impressive that not having to use the insurance company labs, um, we are actually able to get a lot better pricing on quality products that wow. things that we feel like we're the insurance companies kind of make you feel like, and a lot of in private practice, you feel like you have to be a part of some groups that you can get these discounts. And I'll just say that it's remarkable how much people are willing to work with you when you don't have all those kind of systems in place kind of holding you back. So um, but, you know, I knew that there would be a few patients who were lost. I mean, there's always those people who call and eat up so much of your staff time asking about their insurance benefits. And then you're calling the insurance and they want to order just the, amount, just the amount of contacts that their insurance company covers. And I mean, that takes a lot of staff time, too. Um, so we figured there'd be a few people that, that we lost and we figured that there would be people who would hopefully come see us because they value the kind of service that we provide. And there's some people who are just looking for the cheapest option out there, but those aren't the people who 
enjoy coming to us and appreciate the kind of service that we provide. So, and I think the people that do appreciate the kind of service that we provide are willing to pay for it. So, so it was kind of just a wait and see kind of thing. Hopefully uh, we can explain it to patients in a way that they'll, they'll appreciate the value that we're adding to their exams. And, yeah. you know, I care is so important. Um, it's your vision is so important. I just saw that um, it's 90% of our, uh, our stimuli is coming in through our eyes and, and we just, go anywhere in our factory, you know, like going through a, a factory in our eye care, I feel like we need to show patients that they need to value their eye care. And this is a good way to do it. So, yeah, uh, let's talk. So, okay. So you made a decision. You're, you're going that direction. Let's talk mm -hmm. about this transition. Like how do you actually free yourself from, from managed care and move on to this new way of doing business? Mm -hmm. Where do you start? I mean, do you start mm -hmm. with notifying the insurance companies? Like where, where do you even start? Um, so yeah, I guess once I decided that I wanted to just drop all of the insurance companies or insurance plans, everything, I, um, I decided to do over about a three month period. So I, just to give our patients time, time to like put everything together, we did put together scripts and, um, frequently asked questions, uh, how to explain things in optical and on the phone and, you know, just really to help answer patient questions. Um, I did notify the insurance companies as of a certain date, you know, three months down that I wanted to drop. And I um, sent out patients a letter. I put together a letter explaining. I made myself available for if they had any questions about why we were doing this. And I actually sent out like a price. I put together what I thought I thought would be a fair kind of comprehensive price, maybe lower than the prices that would be if we build the insurance company. But everybody's paying across the board, and that's the price that we're getting, or that's the payment that we're getting at the time of service. So it, it evened it out and made it much more sustainable. So I emailed all that pricing out to our patients. I mailed it. I mailed them a letter that I signed them myself. Um, and I gave them time to come in in case they did want to use their insurance benefits before we went out of network. Um, so it was a, a little bit of a process, but I would say we did everything in about three months. So, okay. So start to finish mm -hmm. about three months, three mm -hmm. months later, you're, you're off the plans. Yep. Did, did the insurance companies reach out to patients? Like did they, was there any headaches in dealing with that side of it after you've notified them? Um, I don't know that the insurance companies reached out to patients. I do feel like in the last couple of years, um, it seems like they are dropping out of network benefits. So I, I feel like it's a little bit of a response to direct care that they don't want to do out of network benefits because we will still... Um, we have a software that will file um, or we'll send a real quick paper claim for our patients so that they'll get the reimbursement back. And we tell them what an estimate might be of what they're, um, but it takes about one minute in office for each patient. It's very easy. If, if the insurance payment comes back, it comes back to them or, or they reach out to their insurance company. Um, so, but I do feel there's a little bit of a pushback from the insurance companies in that regard. Um, but I feel like we still have a really good system and, and as long, we've really fine tuned our process over the years of explaining it well to patients. And, and it, it seems like people are very understanding and accepting of it. And like I said, people value the service and when they value it, they are willing to pay for it and it's not super expensive. So, yeah. And, uh, I feel like maybe that's one of the biggest fears is how, well, what are patients going to think? What are they going to say and what, how are you going to describe it and communicate it well to patients? Um, mm -hmm. what are, you know, can you tell me a little bit about some of the scripts you put together? Like what are some of the common questions you anticipated? You know, how, how did you think about putting those, those scripts together? 
Um, well, I think we just explained it, you know, like I kind of said earlier, I, I do think it's really important to not, um, right off the bat, tell people no, that we don't take their insurance plan. We tell them if somebody calls, we say, well, let me tell you a little bit about our practice. We're a direct care practice. And what that means is it's a flat rate across the board. This is how much it's going to be. This is what we include. And, um, if you do have any issues or need to come back in for a follow-up, it's no additional charge. Um, so we kind of put that together in that way to explain it to patients. Got it. It sounds like you're highlighting the the benefits of being yeah. a direct care Add the provider. value first. Yeah. 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 You're, yeah. you're highlighting well, how is that going to provide value to the patient? It sounds like you're really mm-hmm. highlighting what that does to enhance that, that patient experience, the quality of your interactions. How did you think about changing your prices? You said you wanted to make it sort of fair across the board. Um, mm-hmm. how did you think about adjusting your prices either up or down? Um, I think I just really thought about what, you know, if they were to ask their insurance company, what's billed, like what would be something that somebody would be willing to pay for an exam, knowing maybe they might get 40 or $50 back from their insurance companies, or even if they don't get anything back at all, what would be a fair once a year price for somebody to come in and pay? Um, you know, what would I think would be fair? What would my family think would be fair? You know, I, I think that a lot of times because we work at the insurance companies, healthcare prices in general seem artificially inflated because we have to bill a certain amount to be able to get our reimbursements back. So people look at healthcare costs and think they look really exorbitant. Um, so if I make it available and make it seem affordable and just explain it to patients that what everything, what they see is what they get, it's all included, then it, it just makes it more manageable. So, and nobody really likes having to call their insurance company and send a hold and nobody who's working with the insurance company seems super happy. I just wanted to create a happier and more simplified process for everybody. Yeah. And in terms of what you were billing, like your, your gross price for your service, it seems like that may have been lower than what the insurance you, you would have done with your connected to the insurance companies. Mm-hmm. What, what about the net revenue, like what you were actually collecting per, oh, it's per like exam? Much, yeah. I mean, we're collecting at least like 50% higher than what we would have at least, you know, um, on, you know, on a good end. Um, and, um, you know, it's fair, more fair for the patients. We actually get paid for our contact lens fittings. So I don't mind seeing them back for follow-ups as many as they need to, and, you know, giving them the trials. Whereas if you're not really getting paid for it, then it's hard to want to see them back and take up that chair time, um, for contact lens follow-ups, but I really enjoy being able to like troubleshoot with patients and, and they really appreciate it too, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I, I, uh, I actually, I looked through your, your article and I wanted to put some math to this because I think that's a really mm-hmm. important point is that even though your price, your price, right. your gross price was lower, mm-hmm. the amount you're collecting was higher and sooner mm-hmm. you, were, you were getting it right away. So from just yeah. from a cash flow perspective, it was, ha- it was helping your practice. So I wanted to look at, cause in your article, you'd mentioned going from, from $300 average per exam, mm-hmm. revenue per exam to 450 and then later on 564. Right. Am I okay? So I wanted to look at if at at different annual revenue points, you know, from Mm -hmm. six hundred thousand, eight hundred thousand, a million. If you had a an average three hundred three hundred dollar revenue per exam, four fifty and five sixty four, how many patients would you need to see per year to get that at at those price points? And then I wanted to see, you know, how much could you lose in -hmm. order to how many patients or exams could you lose in order to keep that same annual revenue? And going from $300 revenue per exam on mm-hmm. average mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. to 450, you could have lost a third of your patients. Yeah, absolutely. And still had the same amount of revenue. Yeah, yep. With- yeah, we did not see a loss at the beginning. We did lose a few patients at the beginning, but they were the patients who, you know, ran us around in circles. Um, and really, we didn't create a lot of profit on. So now we see patients who appreciate us and we make this obviously we make a lot more money now but um we were able to lose those patients without seeing any drop in our revenue at all yeah and, and even going higher if you're at yeah you know 500 564 you could have lost almost half of your patients and still maintain that revenue yeah seeing i mean less, we can hit a million dollars seeing like eight to ten patients a day which you know? is it's not great you know for yeah. the listener like put this on on an excel spreadsheet and do some math and just tell yourself, like in the worst case scenario, what would that in reality do to my revenue and profit? So that you know, because yes, there's risk, there's risk that patients leave, there's risk that patients don't perceive it well, but the reward may may make it absolutely worth it, even if those patients yeah. leave, which is just incredible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, I, I want to ask about that software that you use. Is that Anagram? Is that is that it the is, one that it's using? Anagram. Okay. Mm-hmm. And actually, Anagram was, it was just kind of coming around right around the time that um, I, I think they started right around early 2017 or so, or maybe it was 2016. Um, so right around the time, I kind of decided to go to direct care. It was kind of hand in hand. I was like, oh, look, Anagram can do this. So how exactly does that work? Um, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, we just pull it up. Um, they have a um, cloud-based software. We just type up the patient information. It tells us an estimate. Uh, and, you know, sometimes it doesn't pull up for every vision plan. So um, we'll have an estimate of what reimbursements would be in the area. And you know, we always tell patient, patients anyway, this isn't, it's not a definite, you know, it should come back to you in about six weeks or so. It looks like you're going to get about $40 back on the exam or whatever it is. And um, then we just, you know, it's real. We can do it before they're out of the office. It takes one second and then um, it comes straight back to them. So very little work on our end, um, but we're able to still let them use their insurance. And I think that 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 helps them too, because if they have insurance, they don't want to be paying for something they're not using. So so with direct care, you can get the lower across the board pricing and then we can still file for the insurance. So. So, that, I mean, I'm just thinking a patient calls in and they say, hey, do you take mm-hmm. my vision plan? And you're, you know, the answer is not no. The answer mm-hmm. is, well, we'll help you get out of network benefits to see if you can get reimbursed. Mm-hmm. So yes. it changes. I think that definitely changes the perception in the, the patient's mind. I, I feel like a lot of them can hear no and just, you know, turn off the phone, you know, just hang mm-hmm. up right there and there. Mm-hmm. But, but you're saying not only um, is it a better patient experience, but you will also help them. You're going to take the workload off of the shoulders. You're going to help them see what they can get reimbursed for out of network. Mm -hmm. And you're going to help them through that whole process. So I think that's definitely a way to take like the pressure off of a patient um, seeing that. Yeah. But you don't want the extra paperwork. (laughs) Right, right, right. We're not trying to make it harder for them. We're trying to make it easier. Do you feel like in terms of the, well, I guess, let me ask you. So you went through that transition. You said it was about three months beginning to end. Mm-hmm. You now have that freedom in your practice. What does the practice look like today? How, how has that change impacted your practice today? Um, well, I mean, I feel like I can kind of go to work and not feel like I'm having to rush through my day. I can spend time with patients. And, you know, I am kind of aware because I do 
tend to chat with my patients for longer than I otherwise would have if I was in another kind of practice. But, you know, I can spend that time like building the relationships, learning about their families. And and it's really um, fantastic now that it's been eight years that I've just about eight years that I've been in practice because I'm really seeing patients year after year. And I feel like now I'm starting to see old friends where they tell me about their trips and I see their kids who were in middle school go off to college. And, you know, it's, it's really awesome too. And, and not just with the patients, but I also feel like with my team, you know, people are happier. I still, I have an office manager now. Um, but other than that, I still have a front desk and an optician. I didn't have to hire a ton of people. So it's, it still has the kind of family feels. And so again, with the amount of patients, you know, you can have less patients. You don't have to have more staff members. And it creates just a whole overall office culture, um, which I I think there's a lot to be said for that, too. I think um, having a good time at work, you know, enjoying the people that you're around and spending your day with. um, We do a lot of like celebrating at at the office. You know, we'll have, um, you know, meeting goals, but also like birthdays, work anniversaries, engagements. You know, there's a lot of fun things to celebrate. And I feel like we really try to build that as a team. And our patients like seeing that, too. You know, we'll bring them up pieces of cake when we're having it. You know, they like that. (laughs) Yeah. And you've I I think you mentioned you put aside an hour for each patient, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. A little bit less, less for kids, but, but for, less stress across the board for everybody. Yeah. Patient feels like they're getting plenty of time. You don't have the pressure of having to churn mm-hmm. through more volume of patients in order to, mm-hmm. to get the results that you want in the practice. Mm-hmm. And, um, and just a much feels like just a much better way to work each and every day. That's Probably nice. a better experience owning a practice when you can you can do that and have mm-hmm. more control over all these different things. I think so. We we talked about it's increased from a financial standpoint, it's increased your revenue per patient. So you, you saw a financial benefit there alongside. Um, it impacted your cost of goods, it, it mm-hmm. sounds like. Absolutely. Uh, and is that from just not having to use the the labs that are approved by the insurance companies. I, I'm pretty pretty ignorant here when it when it comes to the side of it. So how did how exactly did that impact your your cost of goods? Yeah. So the we insurance companies required us to use their labs um for certain products. Um and then they kind of gave better discounts on using certain products that they recommended might not necessarily have been the products that we recommend. So, you know, it's a trade-off with, you know, do you use the products that you recommend to get a lower reimbursement um, or do you use the ones that they recommend, but then you end up having more chair time and remakes and maybe a not happier patient. Um, And then same with like frames, you know, they have certain frames that they recommend or give patients better deals on. So then if the patient gets a better deal, then you don't get as much reimbursement. So now we just offer frame, good quality frames that are, you know, we like to support independent in our, in our frames and lenses too. Um, And then using the independent labs, not only gives a better quality product that I think gives patients better vision and better, you know, adaptation to their lenses. And that creates like an overall better experience for the patient too, because they're not coming back and we're not having to do remakes and they're happier with the vision that they get from their glasses. So, um, so the, that lowers like chair time, it lowers cost of goods, staff time with them on the phone, and then just overall everybody's satisfaction because nobody wants to have an unhappy patient. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Are, are there yeah. any lessons that you learned? Or are there any things that you would have done differently going through that experience now looking back? Um, I probably would have just started cold start from the very beginning, not taking insurance. You know, I only thought that I thought that was the only way. So um, if I would have known that we could have done it this way and that it was possible, then I, I wouldn't have bothered with it from the very beginning. So Okay, interesting. So no, yeah. no regrets. I, no. I, I do want to ask about that because 
I, I hear this and I say, man, this is so, so straightforward, so simple. It feels like a better way to do business. I would have just cold started with this business model, right? I would have just mm -hmm. said, forget the vision plans. I would have just started cold mm -hmm. started from scratch, uh, having more of a fee for service, direct, direct care approach. Now I'm not in optometry. Um, mm -hmm. Should cold starts consider going this route from the very beginning? If so, how do they do it best? Um, absolutely. I think it is a way for us as private practice to separate ourselves and be a little bit different. And, you know, I think even if you look at um, kind of practices that have been around for a while, private practices that have been in, in the insurance, you know, there's a lot of frustration out there. Um, and I think you can kind of see that. So I think if we can kind of separate ourselves and have more practices going in the direct care way, we can kind of just do a better job overall. So um, I think that just kind of learning how to explain it properly is the most important thing. And it just creates an easier startup because you're not having to get on panel with all these different insurances and figure out how to submit. And then you have to pay a service to submit and then hire somebody else to get your claims for like these really sorry reimbursements. Um, it might take a little bit more explanation at the beginning and staff training, but once everybody's on board, even your team can really see what a big difference it makes for patients too. So it's once they understand it too, it's not hard for them to explain because they can see the difference. Yeah. I feel like one of the, one of the, the reasons that I, I have heard that, uh, more optometrists, younger optometrists don't necessarily want to get into practice ownership is because of the the perceived complexity of every, how everything works, especially with yeah. how to deal with all the vision plan stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is definitely a way to sort of simplify that and have yeah. one less party or I guess group of parties to deal with and one less mm -hmm. layer of paperwork and processes and stuff to follow up on. Mm -hmm. uh, let me play the other side of that though. Okay. Uh, a counter argument to that would be that vision plans are an important way for a cold start to get volume into the practice. It's sort of a a marketing expense to help that cold start get started, to get patients familiar with that practitioner, with the value of that practice. It may be a, a marketing expense on the back end because they're not paying for it up front, and it may be a little bit larger than, than they may have anticipated, yeah. <laughs> but it's still a way for them to get at least some vol patient volume into the practice and, and establish themselves. What What would you say to that? Um, I would say that's a pretty steep marketing expense um, that you could probably uh, lose quite a bit of that and and still be able to pay for other marketing. But, um, you know, and I think that's what they want us to think. They want you to think that you have to use their plans to be able to get patients in the door. But, but I was really cautious and I guess meticulous about asking patients, every patient who came in, especially in the early years, about how they heard from us. And, you know, I don't have those numbers right now, but um, it was a very low percentage that I heard of us from their insurance plans. So, um, and, you know, and I do feel like part of it now, maybe more than ever, insurance plans are directing their, they own practices too, not private practices, but they're directing toward patients towards their corporate practices. So even yeah. less, if you were to hear about a plan um, or about an office from an insurance plan, 
your practice as a private practice is not going to be a number one of the number one practices. So, you know, as a new cold start practice, I think it's better to get out in the community and, you know, do the fairs and do the healthcare, senior healthcare fairs and, you know, sponsor a baseball team and go to the events and, you know, give out juice boxes or something, you know, get out there and see your face in the community. You know, if you have kids like go to their schools and do things and, and that's how you can get your name out there and then you get the word of mouth referrals and, not having to pay for that insurance um, marketing, which isn't, that's what they tell you, but it's not, it, it's not a ineffective uh, marketing solution. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, what is it? The client acquisition or the patient acquisition cost is, is really high if you're going that mm -hmm. route and you don't really Excellent. notice it because it is coming off the back end. It's not a front end expense that you're seeing mm -hmm. on your profit and loss. It's, mm -hmm. it's just a less collected, lower collected revenue. Mm -hmm. Um, lower. yeah. <laughs> and maybe, maybe again, putting, putting the time and energy into just learning marketing a, a little bit as yeah. just part of getting that business up and running. And yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because how many more patients, like you said before, do you have to see to be able to offset that? So you're having to get bring so many more people in through the doors to be able to offset, you know, you could probably see four patients to one direct care patient. So, it's, yeah. you know, if you lose that and just get that one patient, that's all you need. So Yeah. And as a consumer, I can definitely say, you know, we are conditioned to to look to our vision plans, even though we'll we'll search, you know, optometrists near me as a way to find you we're probably conditioned to think, okay, we got to find someone within our vision plan and, and turn to that next. So the more, probably the more direct care fee for service models that are available, the more that you're communicating it, the more that you're marketing mm -hmm. it, the more mm -hmm. that people like me are going to see like, oh, that's a normal way of doing business. That's, right. that's something I should look for. Right. And it's not like people go all the time, you know, it's once, twice a year or so to their eye care. So it, for most people, it's it's affordable. Um, and having the lower prices across the board, I think it's overall more affordable. And I, I think that if we can get more people out there doing it, it'll become more, like you said, accepted by patients and the consumer. Um, and I think yeah. it, I would love to see that happen. Yeah. One, one last question, then I'll, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll kind of wrap up here is for those that are wondering, are, are unsure about the future of independent private practice optometry, uh, knowing that they have to deal with all this and seeing the lack of growth and reimbursements and all that, you know, what, what would you say to those optometrists that are, are not quite as thrilled or uncertain about the future of, uh, of optometry, or maybe someone that's uncertain about wanting to get into practice ownership because of that? Mm -hmm. I would say it's worth a try doing it as direct care. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? You can keep continuing the way that you're continuing. If you're not happy, I mean, it's worth it to try and change your situation. So yeah. Yeah, I think so. Well, I, I think this has been phenomenal. Uh, you know, the intentionality that you put, it's, you've, you realize it's your business. You can make decisions in your business. You saw something that, that you weren't comfortable with. You wanted to take it a different direction and, and you took some risks and, and it, and it ended up working out. But uh, I love the intentionality and these decisions that you made and, and the way you went about it. I love the business model. I think it makes so much sense. You know, I, I'm not in optometry, so I, I don't know the, the ins and outs of it, but I think it just makes so much sense from a, a patient standpoint. And uh, so I, I really appreciate your time and coming on here and, and sharing your experience of going through that and, and why you went through that. Um, I'll, I'll put a link to all your articles in the uh, in the show notes so people can find you at least through there. But other than that, if a listener wants to uh, to find you or follow you or, or get to know more about what you're doing, how can they do that? 
Um, well, I have a website. It's directcaredifference.com. Um, there's a lot of information about that. And if you look at the bottom, um, there's links to my Facebook page um, and also YouTube where I've been putting out some. I'm in the process of creating um, some tips and tricks and, and ways to make it more um, possible, I suppose, for um, people to get to a direct care system. So if you want to hear some kind of tips on how to move in that direction, um, you can check out my YouTube channel at the bottom of our, our website. And so um, but yeah, I wanted to say I really appreciate you um, having me on here today. I'm excited to be able to share my story. And if there's anything I can do to inspire people to move in this direction or any questions people have, like, I'm really happy to be there for people because I, I think it's just a fantastic way to practice and a way to move forward optometry. So so thank you so much. Of course. Yeah. Well, I, I, I love the conversation. Um, for the listener, we'll put all of that in the show notes. So you can on whatever device you're listening to, just scroll down and you'll find it there. Or you can go to the education hub on my website, optometrywealth.com. But uh, we will catch you all on the next episode. We appreciate your time. In the meantime, take care. Want more resources to help master your money? Check out the Education Hub on Yvonne's website at optometrywealth.com. Yvonne Mindrin is a certified financial planner and owner of Optometry Wealth Advisors, a California-registered investment advisor. All opinions of Yvonne and his guests are their own. This show is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for specific investment, legal, tax, or other decisions. Clients of OWA may own securities mentioned on this show. 